Hi, you guys. I am so excited. I have got two-time Grammy Award-winning artist Lecrae on the show today. All right. He is talking about his new book, I Am Restored. He's talking about a single that he did with John Legend, his rise to fame, everything that happened in his life from growing up to where he is today. There is so much awesome details in this interview. You're absolutely going to love it. So stay tuned. It's coming up right now. Lecrae, thank you so much for coming. Lecrae's in the house. How are you? (laughs) Wonderful. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I read your book. I've watched your videos. Everything. Wow. It's the world of Lecrae. It's pretty serious. I feel a little underdressed to be on your show, Joel. So I, I know. Just, I need to look at this. I put on my bow tie. That's my thing. Being me a stylist, I always wear my bow tie because that's my signature thing. But we want to get into uh, your book. We want to get into your videos and all the different things that you're working on. I think it's amazing. And then we want to talk about your style, which is fabulous. So um, (laughs) I saw some really cool things that you did. So in some of the cool outfits that you've worn for the awards and red carpet and all of that. But um, you have such an interesting such an interesting background that is so fascinating. When I was reading your book, I Am Restored, and the whole restoration and everything that you're putting out there is just so interesting. And one of the things that really interested me about your background is how vulnerable and how open you are to things. And it's like, wow, like I just, it was just really cool because I, I'm a stylist in fashion, but I grew up in the Midwest and there was like, I went through a lot of bullying and different things like that. So I like to understand where people come from and where their lives started. So I wanted to find out from you, you're very open to talking about your childhood and growing up. Can you tell some of our listeners a little bit more about like your growing up just to like hear your story because you're, you're very honest and truthful and raw about everything. Yeah. I think that, um, we love fairy tales. We love pretty pictures and, and stories that have, you know, a happy beginning, middle and end, but um, but that's not our reality and uh, certainly wasn't my reality uh, growing up. Um, was born to a, a, a mother who was, you know, young and trying to figure out her way in the world. Uh, a father who, you know, same thing. They they didn't know what they were doing. Um, their relationship didn't last longer than a year. And then my father um, kind of disappeared, not kind of. He disappeared from the picture, uh, never to be seen again uh, for the majority of my life. And, um, my mother struggled to figure it out. Um, and in that time period, you know, I was raised by different family members and different people who were chipping in, which left me susceptible and vulnerable to a lot of abuse, molestation, um, neglect and different things of that nature. And so that became my reality that I had to learn how to navigate. And it, was, you know, unfortunately traumatizing, but it definitely has made me into the person that I am today. Can you tell just the listeners, because you talk about the abuse and the molestation, what what was the abuse and what was the molestation? Yeah. Yeah. So um, for me, my mother had uh, different boyfriends and of course um, in their 
you know, uh, being in our home, um, we didn't see eye to eye, you know, uh, they wanted to exercise their idea of what discipline was. And in one particular circumstance, um, that led to me being, you know, a 10 year old kid who was pummeled, beaten, punched and, and just demolished. And, um, and, and then, uh, from, from there, you know, that kind of cycle was repeated by other men, uh, in the family. And then, um, probably, I mean, early on in my life, around, around six or seven, um, I was left with a, with a family member who just took it upon themselves to, you know, lure me into the back room and take my innocence. Um, and, you know, for a, a six, seven year old who didn't understand anything, I didn't, you know, I had no sex education. I didn't know, right. understand anything. Right. Um, it was very disorienting and confusing. And yeah. uh, me just trying to figure out what in the world is happening right now. And yeah. did that just happen one time to you? It did. It happened um, that one particular time, but it set off a trajectory for me that lasted a lifetime, right? It, it set off uh, something in, internally that made me say, wait, what just happened? And I don't, am I supposed to do this again? And so what ended up happening for me was um, I just began to explore sexuality and anatomy from all through elementary school, you know, different kids. And, and it just really opened me up to a world that I just was not mentally, emotionally prepared to deal with. And, um, and it left its, its own uh, marks on me as an adult. Wow. And so many of your mother's boyfriends were abusive physically. Yeah. And that continued on for a long period of time or? That did. um, I think the last circumstance for me was I was probably about 14 years old. And um, I remember that particular circumstance where um, I was, um, you know, choked uh, almost to the point of not being able to breathe anymore, um, where I thought this was my last breath. I'm going to take it here. And uh, my mother, uh, you know, used all her body weight to knock him off of me. And, um, and that was kind of the last straw. Um, you know, I think that was like, all right, this is, this has got to stop. And, you know, at 14 years old, that kind of put me on a very negative trajectory. I, yeah. I really felt abandoned and, and just like, I didn't belong and I didn't have a space in society. And, um, and so I, I began to really act out, be very mischievous, very rebellious and, um, and just very angry. I mean, she basically saved your life. And she did. Literally, she did. If she wouldn't have pushed him over, he would have potentially choked you. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Oh, my God. So this happened with many different people. Yes. I mean, unfortunately, you know, just growing up, I don't think I, I don't think I thought these were unique circumstances. I, I thought these were just, this was just life. You know, this happens. You know, I remember I remember um, one of my uh, family members, he was uh, going on a date and his girlfriend at the time said, have you ever seen him talk to another woman? And now, mind you, I'm seven. And I was like, sure. So I'm talking to a woman before we got here. And he slapped me because he was like, you know, you you're not supposed to talk about this particular thing. And I was like, oh. And I cried so loud that he put me in the trunk of the car <gasps> and drove home with me in the trunk of the car. 
because he he didn't want to hear me crying. And I, you know, afterward, he bought me a little book. You know, back then they had the book that goes along with the CD and you listen to the CD and read read along as a little chipmunk book. And uh, and, you know, that was his way of saying, um, don't tell anybody about what happened. And so it was kind of like, all right, I got a chipmunk book and I'll just be quiet. So those were just, unfortunately, a consistent kind of common theme that that happened. And um, and I, I didn't recognize or realize that this was not normal. He put you because you said that he talks to other women. Basically, is that that was the reason? Yeah. That he so did I didn't it? know. Yeah. I, he didn't want me telling her about this girl. I mean, he, he was trying to pick up another girl. That's really right. what it came down right. to. But he didn't want me to, to, I didn't know that that's right. what he was trying to do. You right. know what I mean? So um, he, she got upset and he smacked me because I was like, shut your mouth. Right. You know, why did right. you say that? Right. But you're um, innocent. I, you're young. Yeah. No idea what's going on. So, you know, for me, you know, it's just, those are, but those are formative times in your life. You know, just they, th- those times shape you and form you and, and inform you. And, um, you know, you don't realize that you'll carry a lot of that weight even into your adulthood, which is probably why the music in the, the book and so on and so forth is so transparent, because those are things that needed to come out in order for me to be fully me and be fully free. But it's like I know you talked about trauma and about the book that uh, uh, the body keeps the secrets, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, like, do you feel like that's still trapped in your body? Um. Well, I, I definitely feel like there's more healing. I have a, a a good friend that I pay to talk to called a therapist. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering if you did, because I was like, maybe, maybe you just were doing, because I know you're religious and you really use that as a tool. I didn't know if you worked with a therapist or not. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I believe in God and I believe God created therapists. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Also, you've got a good friend. That's good. Yes. Uh, yeah. So for me, that was very important to, to, to work through that healing, to work through that, that trauma and that pain and to deal with some of those things, because I didn't know that those things affect, you know, I remember the first thing my therapist told me was that two broken people does not make a whole person. And so you just can't expect to be, you know, oh, I'm I, because I'm not them. I'm whole, you know, but right. you come from two broken people and and their problems are going to have an effect. It's going to affect you. And so right. um, that was the eye opener for me that, that, that led me into the, the portal of, of getting help and, um, and really working through, you know, some of those issues. Now, mind you, like you said, do you still wrestle with those things? Absolutely. They're always going to be a part of my journey. But um, it's kind of like when someone passes away, you mourn them, you're sad. Mm-hmm. But over time, you're not as just destroyed. You know, mm-hmm. you, you cry uncontrollably the first year, the next year you may cry the third year, you know, you whimper, your nose gets red right. and on and on. It's, it always hurts, but you deal with it differently. Right. And you continue to do therapy. Continue. Absolutely. I'll probably be doing it. I don't know for the foreseeable future. I don't have a, a cutoff date so far. So, I know. I like therapy too. Yeah. I like therapy too, because I feel like, you know, but I sometimes feel like there's a thought that like with therapy, like, oh, you don't want to be in there forever because, uh, you know, but yet and and have it something that you depend on. But I also feel like it's super helpful too, you know? Right. So right. I think that's, it's a double ed, you know, double thing. 
Well, so. I mean, you know, think of it like uh, like a stylist. It's like, sure, I I don't want someone to dress me every day, but if they can put me on the right trajectory for a time period, I'm going right. to always need to come back to them. I don't know what's in this season. Tell right. me what's in this season. That's so true. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good analogy. <laughs> that's actually a good analogy because you're always going to be doing different red carpets. So then maybe the Absolutely. next red carpet, you need something new. And the next red carpet you're going to need, you can't just be like, I showed you one time and now you're going to know for the rest of your life. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Do you forgive the people that abuse you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I thought I did, right? Like, I think I thought I forgave them. But I, I realized I didn't once I started going through therapy. Because, because honestly, I think forgiveness is not just saying, I forgive you, I'm moving on. Right. I think forgiveness is, is not, forgiveness is more about you than it is about them. You know, it's mm-hmm. more about you letting go of the bitterness and the hatred that you have for somebody than it is about like that person. And I think I still allowed some of those people to, you know, fester that bitterness within me that was unhealthy for me. You know, they're living their lives. I mean, one mm-hmm. of them is incarcerated, but, but they're living their lives and I'm carrying around all this, this resentment and bitter and hurt. And so forgiveness was more for me to say, you know what? I don't know your story. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what led you to make these decisions that you made. And maybe you have some trauma of your own. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not excusing it. I don't accept what you did, but I forgive what you did, you know? And so I think there's a difference between acceptance and forgiveness. Acceptance is like, it doesn't matter. No, it matters, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but forgiveness is saying, I'm, I'm, I've moved forward and I, I will not allow what you've done to me to create in me a bitterness that I'm going to carry around with me for the rest of my life. Right. Have you confronted them or have you in the past or? Yeah. Um, I've, you know, well, one, I've not confronted, honestly. Um, one, I have not, I think I was always the type of person that was afraid of embarrassing them, you know, kind of like a Stockholm syndrome or you mm. just begin to like, you start feeling sorry for the people who've treated you terribly. Right. And so I, I think I wrestled with that for a while. Um, and then when I did address the guy who choked me out, it was more an anger. It wasn't like a happy, it was more like, yeah. And I remember, and you know, I gave him a what for in that moment, but, um, what's a what but for? I, I just, you know, I gave him a what for. It sounds pretty old school, then I gave him oh, a, a what for. Oh, what? What'd you do that for? Oh, a what for? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to teach me this. <laughs> I got, I got to learn. Yeah, because I'm yeah, going to give yeah. some people some what fors right now. No. You give them some what for. I'm, I'm going to give them a what for. Um, so, yeah. you did, so what? How did that work out? What happened? Um, you know, I, I think. And they've never said it, but I'm, I, I, they never said it to me, but I get the impression from other people around them that, that that's something that they carry, that they're ashamed of. Um, they've apologized for it. Really? Um, they, they did apologize for that. Um, but then I have some other family members who, who have not apologized. And, and for some of them, I think they, they think, well, that just comes to the territory. That's just how things work. Uh, you know, it's just like, you just have to live with it. 
Yeah, it's just, it just is what it is. And so that that's unfortunate. But again, if you hold on to those things too long, they hinder you from becoming who you're supposed to be. You know, it's, it's like I'm I'm supposed to be a butterfly. I can't stay in the in the cocoon forever. I can't keep dwelling back on the caterpillar life I lived. I've got to fly. And so I've got to let that stuff go. Sometimes, though, when you say that, like, I think sometimes people go, God, I wish I could fly, you know, mm. like, I wish I could, but you mm. kind of can get stuck, right? Like in yeah. that. But I mean, I don't know, like, what do you think the key to is from going from that cocoon to that butterfly, not focusing on the past or? No, I honestly think, I think you have to address the past. You know, mm-hmm. that's what people are afraid to do. They're afraid to open that closet. Mm-hmm. Most people are like, I just want to pretend it never happened mm-hmm. and move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to open the closet. You have to address those things so that you can go through that tunnel of chaos and then come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I did it. I went through it and I faced it. I addressed it. And now I'm I've dealt with it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's like a wound. You know, if you have a, a disease you don't just say, I don't have it. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. I don't have cancer. Right. No, I don't have cancer right. at all. It's like, no, let's address it. Even though you want to live in denial, because once you address it, you can change your diet. Now you can change your activities. Now you can, you can get treatment now and you can come out on the other side, hopefully better. And I think that's, that's what it took for me. Yeah. That takes a long time, doesn't it? Or not necessarily. Yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's not an overnight process. Yeah. 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 Did you feel ashamed of like what happened to you? Um, that's a good question. I think I did. I think I felt it in a different way than most people probably would. I felt ashamed because I thought I was weak. Mm-hmm. I thought I should have been able to do something about it. You know, because mm-hmm. mind you, I'm a kid. I don't know. Right. I can't stop these people from sure. what they're doing. But I thought I should have been able to. And so I think subconsciously I walk into adulthood thinking to myself, I've got to be stronger. I got, you know, this is a bravado, false sense of machismo mm-hmm. type of like, Ur. and yeah. it's like, that's not who you are. And you're letting these circumstances create a false narrative for you that you're weak and that you are defenseless. And, and the truth of the matter is those were adults and you were a child. So I was ashamed because I I didn't do better. And I think I carried that with me for a while. But, you know, as far as the molestation and and even the abuse, I think, you know, our stories are not always pretty, but they're ours. Mm -hmm. And so if you embrace your story, then you've got power now. Right. You've taken control of it instead of letting it take control of you. And so it's like, yeah, it's not pretty. It's not something that I wish upon anyone else. But it doesn't define me. You know, it's mm-hmm. part of my story. And I am who I am today because I went through that and I've used it in a better way. Uh, I always like to say no one wants to eat a stick of butter. No one wants to eat, you know, a cup of flour. No one wants to eat raw eggs or a whole cup of sugar. But when you mix them all together and you put them in the oven and refine it under heat, you get something good. You get mm-hmm. cake. And so, right. you know, it's it's a. I'm allowing the cake to come forward and and not focus on all of those ingredients that were disgusting individually by themselves. By themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. 
I'm Anne Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. I know you went through like kind of a rock bottom that you mm-hmm. talked about. What did that look like? Yeah. Um, rock bottom for me was, um, <clears throat> you know, mind you, I'm at the top of the top. Of course, you know, you got Grammys, you got awards, you got celebrity guest lists, all of these particular things, but you still feel a sense of emptiness. And, and, and for me, I had spent so much of my childhood attaching my worth to people's approval. And it's because I was abandoned by my father. I went through all these traumatic events. So if I wasn't approved of, then I was in some sense worthless. And, um, and so for me, what had happened was that I had, um, you know, both on the mainstream and on the faith based side ascended this hill. Well, I guess I I didn't recognize and realize that people are people, religious or not. They're people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're broken people. You know, they they have their own issues. And so oftentimes religious people get, walk with this pious, like I've got it figured out type of right. mindset, mm-hmm. which is totally false. Um, if anything, I would say I I lean into my faith because I know I don't have it together. Versus like, I have it together because of my faith. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, And so when the religious institutions kind of attacked me, you're doing songs with these people and you're, you know, you're consorting with, you know, these sinful folks, so to speak. um, Mm -hmm. I think that was painful. But I I would blame God and not blame the people. And that was part of my problem. So it was kind of like, oh, I don't know what I'm disoriented spiritually now. Then I'm disoriented relationally as well, because, you know, my, my marriage is all, all is on the rocks mm-hmm. and it's looking bad. And, and then I'm disoriented emotionally because I'm going through a depression now because I just, nothing's making sense. Mm-hmm. How do I have all of this? Mm-hmm. But yet I'm just discombobulated everywhere. And so that was a point where I was just like, I'm done. You know, I don't even, I don't, what is, what is the point? And, um, I think what, what happened for me was I got to a place where I realized, you know what? People will always let you down. They are not the object of my purpose or my source. And and I had to begin to realize that if you live for people's acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. I, mm. I am not successful compared to what I do to them or for them. I'm successful compared to what I was created to do. And I had to focus in on that and not be concerned with everyone else's voices. You know, where's the voices that love me, that care about me? Let me zero in on those. And, um, you know, let me zero in on, on the, my loved ones you know, my faith. And uh, that, that really brought me to a, a healthier place. And so what was the rock bottom? It was the, the, the faith coming against you. And then you started, do you drink? Oh right? man. Oh, let's you, you practically. Yes. I mean, you know, what starts as a drink becomes, 
you know, uh, every time I hit the the lounge, I've, I've got to have four or five of them. You know, it's like I, I'm drinking by myself all the time now. Um, I'm taking pills for anxiety. And then those pills, um, you start abusing those pills and taking them with alcohol. And you're just creating this spiral. Um, and now you're you have an alcohol addiction and you're trying to kick these pills which are creating more anxiety because you're having a withdrawal effect. So it was terrible, 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 terrible. Um, It's hell on earth. And I don't recommend it for anybody. (laughs) Yeah. How'd you get out of it? How'd you, how'd you stop? Was it just cold or? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was cold uh, because, because I woke up one morning in a clinical depression and the clinical depression is a little bit different than just kind of like feeling sad. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so clinical is like, it's like my brain shut down. It was scary. And, um, and I was so petrified that kind of like the, the, the show where the kids are, the inmates come and scare them scared straight. Like I was scared straight, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm ruining my brain right now. I don't know what is happening, but I'm definitely ruining my brain. I've got to stop, you know, stop everything. And, um, and you know, I was, I stopped cold Turkey um, and got counseling and that was what I needed. It wasn't easy. You know, I won't say that everyone can't do that. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to do it, but you know, I live to see another day. It's, um, been three years, uh, three years since since that. Yeah. Yeah. Been three years. And how did you overcome? I mean, cause clinical depression, what did that just meant? Like you just felt like you didn't, couldn't function well every day. Right. Right. And how yeah. did you overcome that? Was that just through therapy, through multiple things? Yeah. I mean, initially mine was, was really acute. My, my clinical depression was very acute. So I had to take medication initially. Yeah. Um, you know, and I tell people all the time, take it. It's a cast for your brain. It's just a cast. You know, it's like you break your arm, put a cast on it. You may not have to wear it forever, but you know, you wear it until you can function and heal. Some people will be able to take that cast off. Some people won't. And that's okay. You know, for some folks, their medicine is going to be like vitamin C. You just got to right. take it every morning, you know, it's whatever. Um, but then, of course, therapy. And the, the tools I learned in therapy, I did um, what uh, EMDR, which is like um, where you deal with trauma and it helps erase a lot of that. And then I did cognitive behavioral therapy, which was great. And then um, met with a, a counselor and a therapist. And I, I wish I would have known sooner. Had I known all this right. 10 years ago, I, we wouldn't probably, we wouldn't have this conversation, but I wouldn't be who I am. That's either, true. So. Oh, so you did yeah. EMDR for a period of time. I did it for about a year. Yeah. I did yeah. EMDR for a year. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. I have yeah. to say, like, do you consider yourself more of like um, a faith-based rap or how do you describe it? Yeah, I would say that um, my music is art. And so my art will always reflect my heart and, and my perspectives. And of course, my faith is defining for me, but I don't, I don't want to prostitute my art for the sake of making sure people know you know, what, what I believe. Oh, I, I want see. that to be yeah. natural. Yeah. You know what I right. mean? So it's, it's like, I want to, I want to wear a nice outfit. I want to wear a nice outfit. It doesn't have to have like, you know, God created me right. on the front of the shirt. It's For like a picture of Jesus or yeah. exactly. It's <laughs> right. like, we want the art to, right. to be, you know, done well. And, um, 
And so that's kind of my perspective. Um, of course, you'll hear it fleshed out in my music um, or my writings, but you know, I'm a human being and I want people to know that as well is that um, if, if you can relate to me on a human level, um, on an emotional level, then, you know, we can have spiritual conversations. Then we can, then, then, you know, cause I needed that. I wasn't raised in church or anything like that. So I needed to see people on a human realistic level before I could have a spiritual conversations with them. Just like, mm-hmm. where are you? Are you going to be like weird and obnoxious with this? Or are you just like a normal person? And we right. can just have a conversation about this. So. I like how honest and raw and truthful and forward you are with stuff, but I don't see a lot of other rap people saying, here's what happened to me. I grew up in, you know, this uh, terrible area or I grew up, you know, they're not as honest. And it's like, do you get pushback from like other people? Like, oh, you're, you're not as, you're not as cool or you're like the little Wayne of the faith base or, you know, like, like you don't see little Wayne talking about that. Do you like about his feelings? No, but I I think that's, that's the product of a lack of that consistent whole personhood that, that we just, uh, most of us didn't grow up seeing, especially like in the hip hop community. Yeah. So just, just being a whole person, you know, it's only been like recently that like in the last five years that Jay-Z has gone to therapy. So it is something that he now can speak to, but we were just taught to be everything against that. We were taught this idea of, you got to figure this out on your own and you don't need any help and don't tell about your feelings. And and some of that is because you, there's no room for that. You know, th- th- if you, if you're vulnerable, you're weak. And if you're weak, then, then you're susceptible to being eaten alive out here. Yeah. And, um, and I guess I've just gotten to a point where I've become an elder brother, you know, like to where I can say, Hey, listen, I wish somebody would have told me that I'm not weak and that I can be vulnerable. Um, and I think the tides are changing now, but you know, it, it took time. Oh, that makes sense. You know, I never thought of it like that, that like, if you're weak, you could be, get killed. You could get eaten. Yeah. 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 So it's, there's no room for weak. It's no room or, or for Or to it. say, I've, my, I, my feelings were hurt when you said that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no get room. over it because <laughs> if you don't, you're getting run over. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I read in your book is that, you know, you grew up, with not a lot and that you had a mattress with like cinder blocks and you felt, yeah. you know, and you had no couch. And it's like, if you grow up like that, I just think, how do you get out of that poor mindset? Mm. How do you get to go? Yeah. I can have everything now. It's, you know, it's not just a switch that you turn on and go, guess what? I had nothing. Now I can have everything. Yeah. I think, it's, it's a learning process, you know? Um, the cool thing about it is that I didn't, I wasn't an overnight success. I had gradual success. And so my life didn't just change overnight. Um, there were just little things that happened. And I think that was helpful for me because I was able to, to grow into those, into that space. Um, I didn't just I didn't know I, I, I was poor when we were poor. I didn't right. realize that. I thought, you know, it was just cool. Right. You know, we're functioning. But, um, but you know, I remember the first time I saw, I, I got $1,000. And I was like, I I was a grown man. I was like, I have $1,000. And a it lot. was like mind blowing to me. 
Um, and um, but it came after getting two hundred and then four hundred. Oh, I see. It wasn't like know? just and thrown at you right away, like yeah. exactly. And so it was kind of like, all right, I what am I going to do different? And you know, making little adjustments and little adjustments, and yeah. and, and so I was fortunate that way. Now I I have some friends who were overnight successes, and that's a different story. You know. Wow, you have so many interesting stories. And I see all your awards behind you. Does it feel like your success behind you, like your armor, like your, it, <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. feel like it's a good protector for you. So, well, you know what? That's the interesting thing is that it, it, it was. And in a way that was part of my problem because I allowed the successes to define me more than, man, I was, you know, the little boy who was taken advantage of was just as valuable as the person with these awards. Oh, right. Okay. And, and I needed to know that I needed to know that I mattered and I should have been cared for then. And I should have been respected then. And I should have been loved then. And, and I shouldn't have to win an award to be treated fairly, to be loved, to be respected. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that was some of the unlearning I had to do was because I constantly felt, you know, it's kind of like the, in a relationship where you're like trying to, do you love me? Do you love me? What do I need to do to make you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me now? Do you love me now? And it's like, you're lovable and you, you deserve to be loved. And, and it's not because of, you having to constantly prove yourself. And, um, and so that's some of the work that I had to do, you know, on myself to say, you know what, my worth is, is not predicated on what I've accomplished, though I'm grateful and I'm glad. And, and that's a reflection of the awesomeness that's within me. But, um, but it's more about the gift that God has given me than it is about, you know, people celebrating those gifts as opposed to going look at my grammy screw you now see i'm a good person <laughs> look at my bet award screw you double screw you <laughs> you know like yeah absolutely yeah. but you can't do that <laughs> one of the things you wrote in your book was about fear mm. and i wondered what do you fear mm. um you know i i think I will always fear, I'll always fear being alone um, because I was alone as a child. I'll always fear that. I'll always fear being abandoned or alone because mm. that was something that I had to wrestle with. Now, I know I'll have to wrestle with that and I'll, I'll be processing that for life. And hopefully as I get older, it won't be as terrible um, of a fear as time progresses. You know, it's not as bad today as it was three years ago, but I, I think that's my fear is, is being alone. You know, I was a, a, a serial monogamist before I, uh, (laughs) you know, landed this plane here. Um, and you know, yeah, just the idea of people turning their back on me and saying, we no longer want to be in your world is scary. You know, very scary. You mean, are you talking about with your art or with your family? Because you have like, I feel like when you say that, I go, you have three kids, don't you? You have a wife. Like, you'll never be alone. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I've never, there's no one. My grandmother had 12 kids. And of the 12, I want to say 
one of the 12 has not been divorced. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, that's always a fear of like, Oh shoot, it, there's dysfunction. I've just seen so much dysfunction growing up and people leave and people go and families and people go to jail and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. And so it's like training myself to say, Hey, this is a different story you're living in right now. It's okay. Calm down. I see. That's not going to happen, you know? And so it's, living in that, in that reality. I saw on your Instagram, you got in really good shape. I did. So is that part of your healing? Oh, absolutely. Why? Absolutely. I think the endorphins from work, I'm, I guess I'm an addict. Okay. I'm going to be addicted to something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's be, <laughs> let it be something good, right? Exactly. Let it be something good. So, so for me, it's the endorphins from working out. I mean, it's sanity. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's 80% sanity and 20% vanity. I'll be honest mm-hmm, with you, okay? Mm-hmm, it's 20% mm-hmm. vanity. It's just like, I like the way this yeah. suit, this looks, this feels, I, I, you know, so, but but it's definitely very good for me emotionally. I also feel like I got something accomplished and I'm moving in a direction of progress. I think we all need to feel like that in life. Like we're moving towards something, right. getting accomplished. Sure. And, um, and, and so that's one, one place and one area where I feel like that happens. Was it like taking your body back? Like, did you have shame about that to, I, I think, I think that's probably included in there. Uh, That's definitely like what a lot of decisions that I've made have been that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm gonna grow my hair out because it's mine or I'm going to, you know, work out and this is, you know, I'm, I'm sculpting this. And, Mm -hmm. and so, yes, I would definitely say that's, that's a part of it for me. Cause I saw a picture of you on Instagram where you were like sitting on a couch and then on the other side where you were, hadn't worked out. And then the other one, it's like, you're all ripped up. I was like, wow. You know, it was, (laughs) you did a side by side of like a long time ago or something did you do a program or something or do you just have a trainer? Um, I worked with a trainer for, uh, for a while. Yeah. I worked with a trainer for a while just to try to get in good shape because I needed some, some training wheels first. Now sure. I can do it by myself, yeah. but at first I needed some training wheels. It's like, what am I doing? How do I do, you know, what is this? So it was, you know, uh, regimented eating, all that type of stuff, but it was good for me in that process. Yeah. Okay. I have to talk about your style. So we're on style because what is my show without style? So we have to ask, how do you determine what you're going to wear on stage? Cause I see you love certain brands. Like I see Balenciaga. I saw, you know, all that you like, it looks like you like sneakers. Like how do you determine what you're going to wear on the red carpet? And what would you define your style as? I'm definitely not a first early adopter, right? Um, I'm not the person that's like, I'm going to make my own way and create this thing. I'm an, I would say I'm an appreciator of great art. So to me, style is art. And when someone can create a look that is attractive to me, then I gravitate toward that. But I like being comfortable as well. So it's like, you know, some people choose, I don't know the proper term, but Something over fashion, function over fashion. Oh, function, right, right, right. Right, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person that I I like my function to be fashionable. I guess it's it's like, you know, so I was like, I want it, I want comfort, but I want it to be fashionable if I can. So yeah, I think there's a mixture there. I appreciate the time and effort and energy it takes to make designer things. I appreciate what the work people go through 
to do that. But at the same time, I also appreciate where people are like, I just wanted to flow and look good on you and your frame and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And so that's another thing that I, I'm, I'm very appreciative of. So yeah, I, I like, I like if there's a, a word for it, maybe like where designer and leisure meet somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cause now there's athleisure, which is athletic and leisure, but maybe there's designer and leisure. Yeah. yeah. Where it's comfortable. Right. Exactly. What yeah. would you, so who is one of your like favorite, do you have a favorite designer you like to wear or there's a bunch? I love Jerry Lorenzo. Um, oh yeah. He's great. I think he's phenomenal. I love, um, People I don't know their names, and I'm terrible at this, but the Japanese fashion is, oh, is yeah, has uh, been really cool for me to see. Do you have a stylist but, or no? Uh, yeah, I do. I work with a stylist. I have a couple people that I like to work with. Um, one of them is a good friend, Chelsea Little, and she's very great. Another guy is Torre, and he's um he's out in Los Angeles, and um I I, I like working with both of them. They're both very different. Chelsea is. It has this very sophisticated, you know, Chelsea would know what to wear to the White House if I was invited there. You know, she's got this like, I know what you should wear there. Right. Um, Where Torre is is like, I know how you can make a statement and have everyone paying attention. And so, you know, it's like I like working with both of them. Chelsea's. Chelsea's dressed me for a lot of red carpets. Um, oh, that's great. In the past, yeah. Yeah, because I've seen you on the red carpet and it, it, yeah, you've you got a cool vibe going on and it's it's well put together and, and fashion evolves all the time. What's one of the secrets that you, when you're on the carpet, that you're like, I always do this and it works? Or do you have any like little secrets that have been successful? Um. Yeah, I think for me, it's like, you know, really like cut to my body if when things are like really fitted to my my shape i'm six four you know broad shoulders so when things fit around me like that i think it's you know it works well for me um i have to work with what i have you know the framework that i have going on here so um that's probably where i lean um but shoes has always been an achilles because i'm a 14 so that's always been tough like who do you wear? Like Christian Louboutin? Have you gotten or or Jimmy Choo or? or yeah, Fendi? I mean everything from Gucci, like you said, Balenciaga, Fendi. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. My very last question. I always end this. Um, you have been so gracious with your time. I'm taking all your time. I just you have so many good insights and so much good stuff. So, um, my last question is. What would be one piece of advice or something that you haven't told anybody? that could help somebody else? Oh, you know, I think um, that it's funny. I haven't told anybody this. My favorite artist of all time is Lauren Hill. Mm. And um, I met Miss Lauren Hill backstage and I was just telling her about how impactful she was in my life and how amazing I thought she was. And, um, And I said, you inspire me to do what I'm doing now to, to give life and to give hope to people out there, um, to allow people to see that my scars can bring healing. When people see my scars, they believe that healing is real. And she said this to me and I thought it was so profound. And this is what I would tell other people as well. She says, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? 
isn't my job and your job now to inspire people to be the best versions of themselves. Mm. And I was like, wow. It was like, I'm thanking her. And she's like, you don't have to thank me. That's what I was put here to do. I'm here to inspire you to be a better version of you. Continue that moment. Like kinetic energy. Keep this going. Oh, pay it forward. Like Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And oh, so that's, that's what I would amazing. tell someone is that you're here to be great so someone else will be great. Wow, that's amazing. I want everybody to know you have to go and check out uh, Lecrae's book, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Gained My Faith. You've done so much. I could read all these things. I got all this from your publicist. Love Beyond the Walls, Love Sinks In, Portable Handwashing Basins Funded by You um, Throughout the Atlanta Area, Rebuilding Atlanta's West Side, Live Free in the U.S., Mass for People. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. I mean, Collab Partnerships, Venture Capital for African-American Inventors. I mean, talk about giving it, paying it forward. You really are doing it, Lecrae. Isn't that's that awesome. what I'm supposed to do with that, the words there of you <laughs> There you go. There you go. Yeah. That's amazing. Lecrae, you have been so gracious. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom. I felt like I wanted to write things down as we were talking. Um, but we have a video, so we'll have right. it forever. So everybody check out all of his things, the restoration single, the book, all of it. The book is available on Amazon, all the different websites. So many great things. Um, I'm so happy that you came on the show. Honored, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you later. Thanks for listening to The Cat's Walk. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to executive producer Gerardo Orlando, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Dave Douglas. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 